Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll read verses 1 through 19. The words will be on screen, though I invite you, if you have available a device or Bible, uh, to follow along uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He, and if he went for a while himself, he went a day's journey into the desert, into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once the angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with sword, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before him, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood by the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
God, reveal yourself to us today by your Holy Spirit, through your word, that we may know Jesus Christ. Open our ears to hear you, to listen to you, speaking in the silence, in the quiet, small voice, that we may know you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Whenever God is revealed in the Bible, we should really pay attention. And this is one of those stories where God shows up in glory and power. And now we've already seen God show up to Jacob. Remember that story where God stood beside him at the bottom of the stairway that went up to heaven, and God promised to be with him wherever he went. How about a Moses who met God in the burning bush, and God said to him, Take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And then God gave him his name. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And if that weren't enough, then we heard God call Samuel, this young boy. And the young Samuel responded, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then God stood right by him and gave him this word of prophecy. And God continued to reveal himself to Samuel through his word all through his life. And Samuel listened And even when it didn't make sense, like when he went to anoint that young boy David as king over Israel, the youngest, smallest, least important son of Jesse, God spoke to him. And God appears in mysterious ways, and whenever God acts or speaks, it it doesn't always make sense to us. And the story of Elijah here is no different, because God says and does some pretty strange things in this story. God reveals who he is and what he is doing And somehow this discouraged, despairing prophet Elijah finds himself back on his feet, back on the road, back on the mission for God. And as we draw nearer to Christmas, we'll be hearing God's word through the prophets. We'll start with Samuel and Elijah and then move on to Amos and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And and the role of a prophet in the Bible is not exactly to predict the future, It's not how we imagine it today. No, a prophet is someone who speaks the word of God into a particular place or person or situation who need to hear it. Now, some prophets speak the word against injustice of the powerful. And other prophets speak the word that is comfort for the oppressed. Sometimes it's a word about God's good future, and sometimes it's a word of judgment about the past. Now, Elijah has done a bit of both in his life. And last year, we heard a story about how Elijah came out of nowhere. He was this guy from a small town on the wrong side of the Jordan River up in the hills. And he shows up at the court of King Ahab and speaks this word of prophecy from God. God is is sending this three-year drought on the land. And by the word of God, no rain will fall. And that was terrible news to this King Ahab, this king who worshipped the god Baal, the god of rain and storms, the god of fertility and crops, the god of life, or so they thought. And then Elijah went into hiding, and God provided food for him, but the ravens came to him in this little ravine in the desert and fed him meat. And then when he went over to a foreign country, a widow provided bread for him uh, through this uh, mysterious provision of God for three years. And then... Then God sent rain. After three years, God sent Elijah to Ahab to declare that the drought was over and to set up this dramatic confrontation between the God of Israel and this false god, Baal. And so on the mountaintop of Mount Carmel, he, he sets up this confrontation and he says, okay, whoever's God burns up the sacrifice, that is the one true God. 
And so the prophets of Baal take the whole day to set up the sacrifice and they they sing songs and they dance and they cut themselves and they cry out before their God hoping for something to happen. And nothing happens. Silence. And then Elisha builds an altar and he lays wood on it and he puts the sacrifice on it and then he, he pours water all over it until it's so wet that the water is dripping down and then he prays, Lord God, uh, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, answer me so that the people will know that you are the Lord, the God of Israel. And then God sends fire and it burns the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil beneath them and all the water dries up and the people fall down and declare, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. And it's from this high point on Mount Carmel with the victory of God of Israel over the, the God, Baal and his prophets that Elijah ends up going down, down, down to the deep, deep low where we find him today in the story. And it's all downhill from Mount Carmel, metaphorically speaking, for Elijah. He starts out by running a half marathon, a 17-mile race downhill from Carmel down to Jezreel, the town of Ahab and Jezebel. And he beats the chariot of Ahab to get there. But somehow when he gets there, Ahab, Ahab's wife Jezebel, the, the foreign queen, hasn't gotten the memo that the God of Israel has won. Somehow all she hears is that Elijah and all the people there have killed her prophets. She's lost her entourage and she is furious. And so she threatens to take Elijah's life and Elijah sees how things are and he decides to leave. Or maybe he's afraid and runs for his life. Either way, 70 miles he goes. 70 miles from that place down to the very bottom of Israel to the town of Beersheba to escape. And he comes to this walled city, this city with special reservoirs of water dug deep down into the mountain underneath the city, a place of security. But he does not stay. He leaves his servant there, and he heads out another day into the desert, into the dry land. Maybe, and, and, and Elijah lays down under a broom bush tree. He is discouraged. He's seen God's word revealed, and somehow that was not enough to bring about this revolution, this transformation that he hoped to see. He he wanted to see people's hearts turn to God. Maybe he even hoped that Ahab and Jezebel would turn and see the light and see God's fire and repent of all their sin. But no, things are worse than they've ever been. Prophets are never popular, but Elijah has got a bounty on his head. And Elijah lays down under a broom bush tree, a small scrubby tree like this one in the desert, to die. And he's so discouraged that he prays to God that he might die. Now this is a dangerous prayer to pray without a strong dose of, your will be done, O Lord. And that's how Elijah prays it. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's done being a prophet. He, he's tired of being on the run. He, he has not seen the transformed hearts he hoped for. All he sees is death ahead. Better to die at the Lord's hand than at the hand of Jezebel. He sees no future, and, and the past that he remembers is so discouragingly true. Every prophet fails. Every prophet suffers. Every prophet dies. Not one of them turned out to be great. And, and Elijah may have thought that he would be different. Maybe he thought that he'd be the one who, through whom God would call the people back to him. But no, the perfect prophet has not yet come. He was not the one. And when the Messiah does come, it turns out that people think he's Elijah. And Elijah lays down to sleep. 
and to die. And death is sure to come in the desert if you, under that meager, barely any shade of that tree. And maybe you've never lain down under a tree to die, but, but all of us have felt discouraged at some point in our lives, maybe especially in the last few years. Maybe it's that you're tired of dealing with ever-changing policies at work. Maybe you've cleaned that room one time too many. Maybe you've taught another class where people just didn't seem to get it. Maybe you've carried that pain in your body for long enough to want it to end. Maybe you've been on this medical journey that, that, that seems to, where recovery seems to be impossible. Maybe you've parented a kid or, or grandparented a, a grandchild who, through this confusion of the last year, and maybe you're still living in some place that is just not right for you. And whatever the reason, you feel like you're done, you're discouraged, you're ready to lay down under a broom bush like Elijah. And maybe you've even prayed like him, God, I'm ready, take my life if it's your will. But God has another plan. And God has a plan for Elijah. See, the first thing it involves is provision. God sends this angel messenger right to Elijah to wake him up from his sleep of death. And he says, get up and eat. And Elijah looks around and he sees some hot bread and some fresh water. And he eats and drinks and sleeps. And then the angel comes a second time and reminds him again to eat because the journey is going to be too hard for him. He needs the food, both to recover from the 87 miles that he's just traveled and also to prepare for an even longer desert journey ahead. Elijah eats, and the scripture says he has enough strength to walk for 40 days and 40 nights until he gets to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now that's the same place where God met Moses in the burning bush, and it's the place where the people of Israel saw Moses go up to receive the law from God's hand. That's the place where, the, where, God, uh, where, where Elijah goes. But notice that God doesn't tell Elijah to go to Horeb. Elijah decided to do that himself. Now maybe the, this second part of the journey wasn't necessary. One commentator wonders, where do you go where you're in trouble? Where do you go when you're in trouble? You go to the place where God is. Now, maybe God could have revealed himself to Elijah just one day's journey out into the desert from Beersheba under that broom bush. And God did provide food for him to do this longer journey to Horeb. And God provided food for him just like he did before Elijah, uh, for Elijah, by the ravens and the widow. And God, provided, uh, did, God provided manna and quail for the Israelites when they were in the desert. And just like the people of Israel, God first provides food for Elijah. And then the next thing he provides is his presence. See, God meets Elijah at Horeb. And after that night in the cave on the mountain, Elijah hears God speak. Now, it is not a common thing for him. He'd seen God's power in this fire coming down on Mount Carmel. He's seen God provide food for him and rain on the land. In fact, as far as I can tell, this is only the third time that Elijah has heard God speak to him directly. And the word of God comes to him as a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, some versions translate that as, why are you here, Elijah? And it is not really clear from the text what the emphasis of God's question is. Is it on the why? Like, is God accusing Elijah of something, maybe of unfaithfulness, maybe uh, of lack of trust, maybe of discouragement? Or is the focus on the 
here? As in, why are you here in this place of all places? Or maybe God is just asking a genuine question. Maybe God is interested in what Elijah needs or or thinks he needs. And whatever God's reason, Elijah has his answer ready. In fact, he's probably spent the past 40 days and 40 nights working it out in his head. He's got his words down so perfectly that he says them twice without skipping a single one. I'll read it in the message version for you to hear it. He says this, I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And God answers Elijah. God has provided food, and now he gives his presence. And he says, go out and stand on the mountain uh, for, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And this is where we get one of those mysterious theophanies, one of those God revelations in the whole Bible. And, and I'll read it from the message again. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind And after the wind was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. And then Elijah knew. Elijah had seen God work in power and might and glory all of his life. He'd seen God work through uh, dry winds and food from the sky, the God of fire and lightning and storm. And now... Now God comes as this gentle and quiet whisper, this sound of sheer silence. And somehow he knows that it's God's presence. Maybe the Spirit spoke to his heart with that confidence and assurance that comes from knowing God's word. And one, one Jewish commentator calls this silence the paradox of voiced silence. Silence that has a voice. It's like the very name of the Lord, I am, which starts with that sound that your throat makes just before you're going to say a word, just before you're going to take a breath and take action. God speaks out of the silence in that gentle and quiet murmur, and yet it is unmistakable to Elijah that this presence of the Lord, he knows it's God, and so he goes out with his face covered with his cloak. And God answers the same question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers in exactly the same way with exactly the same words as before. And either Elijah has not learned anything since the first time or the words mean something different the second time. And we we don't know based on the text, so we should be careful when we guess, but it seems that God's presence here is for Elijah's good, for his healing, for his encouragement, But Elijah also needs something else, something for the people of Israel. So God has provided food. God has provided his presence. And now God responds with a plan. And it is this practical, specific, detailed plan of what to do. God will not abandon his people to the sin and the suffering and the injustice of Ahab and Jezebel. And God sends Elijah back on a mission, back on the road, on a journey even longer than the one he's been on, perhaps two or three times longer. This time he needs to go all the way from the very bottom of the Negev Desert near Egypt all the way up beyond Israel into Syria to Damascus. And this first part of God's plan involves anointing a foreign king over a foreign country to do God's will. 
And then then Elijah needs to come back to Israel to anoint a new king over Israel, Jehu. Uh, and And then the third thing is that he needs a helper and a successor, someone to come alongside him, and God gives him Elisha. And then finally, God reminds Elijah that he is not alone. He has never been alone. That there are at least 7,000 people in Israel whose knees have never bowed down, who have not worshipped Baal. And even when Elijah felt discouraged, even when he felt alone, God was working in people's hearts. God has always been present in that work, it turns out, and it is not Elijah's job to do it all. God will do it. God will bring justice through those whom God chooses. God meets Elijah in his discouragement and he he provides for him. And he gives him not just food, but his very presence. He reveals his glory to him. And and God shows his glory even more in the silence than in his acts of power. And then God gives him a plan. God sets him back on his feet for this journey, for a mission, for this calling to be a prophet, to speak God's word to the people and the places that need to hear it, even if they don't listen. And God gives him what he needs. In the same way, God gives us what we need. God meets us in our discouragement and God comes to us in our despair when we're lying down under a broom tree and God provides for us. And it might come in the form of a nap and a snack. Uh, some, some people have said that sometimes God's provision for us comes when we're most needing just a nap and a snack, a little bit of rest, he says to Elijah, and you'll be a bit better. Now, God might provide for you through a much-needed vacation or time of rest or, or maybe a word of encouragement from a friend. God might provide for you from a word of Scripture that rings in your heart and, and sustains your soul for the journey ahead. God might provide for you through the, the work of a, a mental health clinic uh, or a, a doctor or a friend who comes along and supports you. And Whatever it is, God provides what we truly need. And God gives us his presence through the Spirit God meets us in the Word, and and God takes, by His Spirit, He takes that Word and plants it deep in our hearts. And God, uh, we may not all get a chance to hear God's Word, God speak to us directly like Elijah did, but maybe we do. God speaks to Elijah out of the sheer silence, and, and silence is loud. If you've ever been in a truly silent place, like the, the Grand Canyon or, or deep in the hills where it's snowing, God speaks in the silence. And God gives us his plan, too. He gives us this mission of redeeming the whole world through Jesus Christ. His, is this plan that we're all in on, that we all have a part. In Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. And we who are called to be in Christ are one with him and his mission in the world. God meets Elijah in his despair. And he gives him this provision. He gives him his presence. He gives him a plan. And so, too, for us. And the, the words listen and silent have the same six letters in them, just in different order. To, to listen, to truly listen, we need to be silent. We need to hear. And, and when we are silent, we can listen. And God speaks to us in this silence, in his gentle, quiet voice. So listen for the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O God of of silence and power, God, you you speak in the still, small voice to our hearts, and, and you speak in your mighty acts through your word and scripture. 
Speak to us, not just today, but every day we pray, but through your word, through your people, through your Holy Spirit speaking to us in the silence of our hearts. And guide us to act in your mission, in your journey, in your way in the world, that we may be your faithful people, that you may sustain us through seasons of discouragement, through whatever provision we need, through your presence, through your plan. We pray that you continue to provide for us in, in whatever place we find ourselves. And by your Spirit, sustain us to, to be your people who serve and speak your word wherever it needs to be heard. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond to God's word today through uh, two songs, uh, the Rock of Ages, speaking of God as the sheltering rock who sustains us, 